listening to First Church Charlotte. so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. I'm super excited about Bible study. I love the word of the Lord. I love talking about it. I love thinking about it. I love applying it in my life. And uh, I, I, I believe the same is true of you. You are here on this cold, crisp holiday Wednesday night when you had any number of other things you could have done, but none better than coming out to the house of the Lord to slow your week, direct your mind, steal your heart, and receive what the the wealth that is in the word of the Lord for your life. Can I have a big amen? Let me give you a handful of scriptures that you could could think of as um, kind of holiday-esque type scriptures. You don't have to stand. I'm going to be reading several. Uh, John 1 and 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Think about that. What God thinks as glory is what dif- is different than what you and I think of as glory. We, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Um, Galatians 4 and 4, uh, when the set time had fully come, God sent a Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive redemption to sonship. Uh, I am, how about Isaiah 7 and 14? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Um, this, this passage here in Isaiah 7, one of my, I actually didn't think about this before church, but one of my all-time favorite messages that I've ever preached uh, in my life is from this moment where Isaiah is confronting a king and uh, he makes his son come with him. And uh, he, uh, this is the moment, I won't get into it, there's, there's, there's rabbit holes here, but I love this moment in Scripture. And famously, Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So many of these uh, Scriptures are appropriate to read in this holiday season. Uh, Zechariah 9 and 9, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And First John 5 and 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So I want to, uh, having just kind of given you some scriptures to kind of warm your heart by as though you were sitting by a fire, I want to talk to you about the subject of wholeness. Wholeness. What what does it mean to be made whole? What does it mean to be uh, in some way a completed spiritual work in the hands of God. And so uh, that's what I'm going to talk about here for just a little while. Um, I am, before I'll get started, let me remind you of a couple things. Next week we will not have Wednesday night service because of the holiday uh, season, and we will give you next Wednesday night to uh, arrange your various commitments and family time and the like. Um, But all the other services will be the same. Uh, And so... That kind of catches you up on the holidays. Uh, on January 1st, 
Uh, we will have a regular Wednesday night service, well, the regular time, but the service itself will be uh, more of a directed prayer service than a simple Bible study. How many of you want to be whole? You want to be whole. How many of you know that our God is a healer? Let's try that one more time. How many of you are living, walking testimonies that God is a healer? I am a, a testimony of God's healing power. Um, he healed me by keeping me. He healed me by correcting the processes in my body that were wrong, uh, that enabled me to live. He healed me by keeping me healthy when my body could have recurred uh, with my particular health history. Uh, That's just the physical. Uh, There is also a deeper ocean to swim in of healing, and that is the ocean of spiritual, emotional, psychological healing. Uh, I, I want so much, I want so much to to, to help people find a place of spiritual wholeness. The image I want to reference you to, I, we won't read it because it's so well known, uh, but there's this, there's this miracle in the New Testament where uh, Jesus is in a crowd and a woman, the Bible calls her the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, she evidently was known in that community for this particular illness. Um, I, I, I like this story to talk about wholeness because the disease of her body was not something that should have been public. It's not the kind of illness that any woman goes around and says, hey guys, <laughs> I just have something I want to share. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if you're a woman and you're like that, I've never met anyone like you. <laughs> um, this is not, isn't it interesting the Bible doesn't hold back these stories from us because in the story, in the image, there is a depth of understanding. This is a woman who she has the kind of illness that she undoubtedly has tried her best to hide for as much as and as long as she can. But in her desperate need for healing, she has gone to doctor after doctor. She has sought help and uh, of any type. You, you can say maybe um, her family had to, maybe, perhaps, but it's not the kind of thing that you would think would be a public illness in her body. But that's what she had. And she is known for it. I, I think, at least from my Bible study, this is a, a powerful image of, of someone who has something wrong with them. Um, and it is, it's not something they wish was their identity. They, they wish that they were known for something else. But in spite of what they might like to be known for, the sad reality, the disturbing reality, is they are known as that person with that problem. And they can't really get past living as that person with that problem. And their problem is embarrassing. Their problem is not something they want sounded from the rooftops. And yet, they're stuck in this reality. And she finds herself in this crowd. Uh, We've all heard this taught and preached, and I have taught it and preached it, and I love the story. She's speaking faith to herself. I said she's speaking faith to herself. She's saying, if I can just touch him, I know he can. I know he can. If I can just touch him, I will receive a healing. I love this image of faith. What what is going on in your life that you should be speaking faith to yourself about right now? What is heavy upon you right now that you should be speaking faith about? That you should go into a prayer closet or a place of devotion and you should be saying, uh, God can fix this. God can fix this. God can make me whole. 
What is going on in your life that you should be speaking? I know we are all of us good at speaking doubt. I know we are all of us good at acknowledging uh, the problem. We are all of us a little bit too connected to reality. (laughs) And uh, we, all of us, can face that. But the truth is, sometimes we need to speak faith into the very situation that we, in our, own, in our own life, may feel a certain sense of almost hopelessness about. Imagine her hopelessness. She's lost all her money seeking uh, cures from doctors. It hasn't worked. She now, her problem has uh, gotten to the point where it is her identity. It has uh, assumed the whole of her life. But all she can say is, if I can touch him. And so uh, she touches him, and uh, the Lord does not have to consult whether or not it's a good idea to heal. Faith moves God. Uh, I, this is something I want to do a better job in 2020 of living in my life. I, I actually think our uh, theme, I normally don't do annual themes because in my experience, annual themes last until January 31st. And it should have been the January theme. But uh, I, I, in my life, my, I, I told my wife, I said, I, I think my personal theme for 2020 is going to be speak faith, speak faith, speak faith, speak faith, speak faith, speak faith. And here she is, you know, if I can touch, I, I, I will be made whole and she's believing and she's pushing back beyond the uh, uh, hindrances there's always hindrances and most of them aren't personal they're just in the way yeah. we don't you usually help ourselves when we personalize uh, the hindrances in our life yeah you have a crazy uncle newsflash everybody has a crazy uncle okay don't personalize it just get beyond it and touch his him touch the hem of his garment. Now there's a great Bible study and preaching in this um, that that the hem was uh, there. There's a whole theology and beautiful Old Testament story. I don't want to get into for time's sake of what she was saying uh, about him. That when Messiah com- came, the Bible says he would have healing in his wings. Now that's a a little bit of a misleading translation. What they're actually referring to there is not wings of a bird, but they're referring to the hems of the priests garments. The Messiah will come with healings in, healing in his wings. Uh, in English, it translates that way. But the truth is what we're saying in biblical prophetic imagery is the one who can heal by simply touching the hem of his garment. That's the Messiah. And so her faith is not just for my healing. It is who he is. When you can ally your needs with what God wants to do in the earth, it's like dynamite going off in your life. When you, that's why you guys have heard me pray this way. Lord, I don't, I don't want just healing for the sake of relief. Now, I want relief. You know that. But I want your name to be glorified. I want your kingdom to be exalted. Do you guys understand? I want to align my needs with heaven's desires. Oh, praise God, somebody. I might get fired up here and take into stomping and carrying on. Whoever heard of such stuff? Uh, oh, but we're talking about wholeness. Let me get back on track. So, so many people come to God, and we start this life of uh, let's just call it kind of a faith walk. I think that's a, a really good biblical way to look at this image of pursuing God. Um, all of the patriarchal images of, in Scripture that are. Uh, biblical foundations for everything that will come. The covenant of the house of Israel that will uh, be a layer 
upon which the nation of the Israel will be built, upon which will be the whole priesthood, uh, the, prof- the prophetic ministries, ultimately the coming of Messiah. All of these images involve this seeking after God, this pursuit of the presence of God. This, this Abraham, he's not of this world. He is not going to settle down. He is going to live in a tent that can move and build altars that will stay. And this image of this pursuit of God. And this is the just living and walking by faith. These same things will flow over into every aspect of our life. You should not have a sense of Christianity that's settled and... uh, reclined. You should have a sense of a pursuit of the presence of God, a pursuit of spiritual mission and purpose, a calling upon your life. Can I have a big amen? And so here's this, 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 this opportunity we all receive. We come to God. We start by inclining our heart toward God. Some people have a personality that they, they get touched in a service, and they're the first person in the altar. They throw their hands up. Uh, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in that moment. They're baptized on that day. And some people have that. Uh, recently, uh, my dad and I actually were talking about some of the prophetic um, conferences that have happened over the years and the various things. And we were talking talking about how many people we knew actually had gotten the Holy Ghost in those things and had and stuck around. They made it. They weren't just flash in the pan type conversions, but they, they, they got a hold of something and that turned from a moment of fear motivated repentance into a healthy relationship with God. Now that's, that's, that's great. That's beautiful. Some people can do that. Most people start thinking about church before they ever attend for the first time. They start thinking about being a believer before they ever show up with a, with a, a, a tear on their uh, cheek. <laughs> they start thinking about, I need to make some changes in my life. They start considering, I need to turn my heart back toward God. That's, that's the path most people make. They start thinking about it, they, and then they, they start, they come to church for the first time. They'll, they'll feel something. Very few visitors at our church, very, very few let me, let me emphasize this uh, strongly because we are the buckle of the Bible belt. Almost nobody who visits our church thinks they're lost. Almost no one. And so uh, occasionally I'll have someone say, well, I just wish you'd get up and just, and just break it down and make it plain and just give me some of going to hell. And I'm like, who would I be preaching to? Are you going to hell? No, I've been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, who would I be preached to? The visitors, they don't feel like they're lost. Welcome to Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> what we do, really, and if, if, if you work with the guests who come to our church in our First Steps class consistently, like I've been able to do over the last two years, and you're able to sit across from them and talk to them, why did you come? What's going on in your life? What's, this is what you find out. Just talking to them, not just having a theory, but actually talking to people who are visiting for the first time. This is what you find out. You find out that most of them have some hunger some drawing, something. They're wanting to take that next step. They're wanting to, they don't think they're lost. They just think maybe there's something more. You know what? I don't care what is moving in your heart. If you will turn your heart toward God, he will begin to speak to you. He will begin to minister to you. He will begin to lead you. He will begin to wrap his arms around you. This is the gentle wooing of the spirit. His anointing calling you and leading you. Come on, somebody. 
And so uh, I haven't got to my notes yet. This is bad. How am I doing on time? Uh, I've still got some time to try to save this. And so the, what, what I want you to see is we turn our hearts toward God and this, this, this process begins in our life. Uh, there are some things given to you as gifts and other things given to you as mountains. We, it would really help those of us who've been serving the Lord for a few years and we are in the role where we should be mentoring others. It's very helpful for us to understand this. Some things are given to you as gifts and some things are given to you as mountains. They're not the same thing. Well, let me say it this way. They all might be God's gifts, but they're not experienced as the same thing. God will take you out of Egypt as a gift. You don't have to do anything. You just show up and sacrifice the lamb and walk out with their gold in your pockets. Okay. But he won't give you a promised land. You got to fight for a promised land. And so when someone comes to the Lord, what they have is they have the gift of God, which they can do nothing for. And they have mountaintops. They have addictions they need to put behind them. They're never going to be able to be a spiritual person if they want the things of this world. They have uh, lusts of the flesh that need to be disciplined because they're never going to have a heart for the kingdom of heaven if they have a heart filled with lusts for the things of this world. Do you see? So you have both the gifts of God and you have mountains. You have things that you should accomplish. Well, this is what is interesting. And I, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be transparent with you. I'm not trying to give you a bunch of uh, just uh, I think this and I think that. I, 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 I want you to, I want to be as transparent as possible. Um, th- this is what I have learned um, in the, the years that I've pastored. Um, so often, working to spiritual wholeness in our life is more of a mountain than a gift. Working to spiritual wholeness where we are spiritually healthy and strong is much more of a mountain that we need to climb than it is a gift that we can simply unwrap. Because if we think that we can just have spiritual wholeness completed in us here with our histories and our lusts and our sins and our errors, what will happen is when the excitement of the new wears off, the dreariness of the old will settle back in. And with that dreariness will come a sense of alienation from God, cynicism toward the church, and ultimately we talk ourselves in to quitting you see? You see the risk? Spiritual wholeness is often a mountain for us to climb. Now, uh, as you guys know, I love it when uh, I come across advice from uh, secular sources or scientific sources that tells something that the Bible's been saying for thousands of years as though it's new. That's one of my favorite things ever is these scientists come out, we have surveyed 17,000 people and we can now say this. I'm like, you could have just read Joshua. I mean, it's the same thing Joshua did 2,000 years ago, or actually 3,000 years ago. Um, I love it when that happens because uh, I am, one of the things I pray about every day, it's on my daily prayer list, is the challenge that we have in reaching a postmodern society. Um, When we were, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to uh, get letters from AARP, um, which is very discouraging, and I'm thinking about taking out a libel suit against them. So... um, 
here's the thing. When we were growing up, we didn't have a lot of sources of authority in our life. We had a handful sources of authority. You had your parents. You had your teachers. You had your pastor. Parents, teacher, pastor, maybe coaches. And if you had a question, what would you do? You would go to one of them and you would ask. The only kids who do that now do not have access to the Internet. Let's talk about a postmodern world. You want to tell them what to think about God. Why should they listen to you? They can go on YouTube and hear what their favorite celebrity thinks, and they like him more than you. It is the end of authority. You don't go to your pastor anymore. Pastor talks about, let's say anything, um, underwater basket weaving. Why should you listen to him? Go to YouTube. You can read and listen to the number one rated underwater basket weaver in America. So why would you listen to your pastor? And this is the world we say that we're trying to reach. And then we try to reach it with the same uses of authority do you see, why would they listen to us? You have to, and this is something um, Don and I were talking to, middle block, uh, and uh, she works with this age group, and she said, you have to earn the right to be listened to now. You have to earn the right to be listened to. Why should they not listen to their favorite sports player? Why shouldn't they listen to their favorite celebrity? Why listen to you? Who are you? You're just an old guy with a dad bod. That's painfully true. Anyway, enough about Brother Don. Moving along. I challenged Brother Don to do a one-arm push-up. And for his, to speak in his behalf, he tried valiantly. Failed horribly, but tried valiantly. <laughs> he used to be able to do them in the military. Anyway, so do you understand? This is a challenge. Okay, so when I, let me get back on track. Uh, so... Um, Because I'm praying for this to understand and try to find a way to communicate, uh, not simply in the model uh, that was uh, ideal for a, uh, uh, a world in which there was kind of selected authority figures and into a world where everybody can know what everybody thinks about everything and why should they listen to you, um, even your own kids, uh, why should they listen to you, they just go online. Um, and we, what, what, whenever I find these things that are, it's like proving the Bible right. I love it. Well, so real quick, because the United Kingdom has, uh, government medicine, like, uh, government controlled medicine, the government has everybody's medical records. Um, now in America, the, your doctor has your medical records. And so it's not as near a, as much data for them to data mine um, and learn patterns and trends. Well, the UK government formed a, a group called the Foresight Project on Mental Capital and Well-Being. Uh, they were quite disturbed. Uh, even now in the United Kingdom, they consider mental, mental health to be a crisis. They consider loneliness to be a crisis. It's leading to not just depression, but very high rates of suicide and drug addiction. Um, they surveyed all the research they had. They surveyed all the science they had. And they came up with five steps that they thought everybody should do. And all of these are action steps. You can't, it's not just something you can think. It's not just a positive mental attitude thing. These are things you ought to do. And I read this list. I just wanted to, first thing I did was laugh. I'm like, well, welcome to the local church. Um, what they just did is used a uh, hundred years of science to prove why everyone should be committed to a local church. 
So the first thing they suggested was this, to improve your mental health, to improve your, your, your sense of wellness, to improve your wholeness. Uh, you need to connect with the people around you. You need to connect with family. You need to connect with friends. You need to connect with colleagues. You need to connect with neighbors. At home, at work, you need to be a part of the fragment of your local community because you are not enough for you. Point number one, social relationships are critical to our well-being. Absolutely critical to our well-being. The Lord did not invent you or design you, I should say. <laughs> not bad ver verb choice there. The Lord did not design you to try to be this towering Christian in isolation, but he created a local church body where they needed you with your hangups and you needed them with their hangups. And you would be able to do things that would have more impact if you could do it in conjunction with what they could do. And then we would come together and we would look after one another and we would be forced to grow as Christians because we'd have to accept one another. And the friction of personality would make us all more gentle over time. Remember, wholeness is not a gift to be given. It is a mountain to be climbed. The first thing is... Um, uh, connection. And so uh, connecting in a social structure and our relationships, absolutely critical. Uh, speaking spiritually, our relationships with God, with, with God are, is absolutely critical. Our relationship to other Christians is absolutely critical. Jesus died on the cross, Paul explains clearly, to reconcile us with God and also to reconcile us one to another. Uh, this is the whole point of the church. This is the whole point of Calvary. Without connection, it's going to be very, very hard for you to find spiritual wholeness in your life. The second thing that they talk about is the need to be active. Do not be a passive person. You must be inactive. They're not just talking about exercise, although exercise is a very large uh, piece of that. Just looking at the exercise piece of it, um, it is proven to improve improve mood better than any drug that is prescribed for depression. Exercise is. Most of, you, of us could save a lot of money uh, instead of using whatever prescribed drug to fight depression is, but to go uh, walk a nature trail every day. This is not my theory. This is very much shown. Be active. It improves your mood. And also, by the way, it's good for your, your health. But more than just the exercise piece of it, be involved in the life opportunities around around you. Do not be passive. Do not choose the couch. Get off the couch. Man, if ever an organization was designed to create opportunities for you to connect with people and be active as a, uh, a generous member of your society, your community, the local church almost seems to be divinely ordered to provide you exactly what you need to have a journey towards spiritual wholeness. Let me say it again. Wholeness is not a gift to be given to you. It's a mountain for you to climb. Maybe I should just take a moment here since I'm doing so amazing on time uh, and talk about how to know if uh, how to know if you are not whole. Uh, if you are disturbed enough in your spirit, it's obvious you're not whole. You're not sleeping well. You're you're having uh, 
flares of temper. You're having feelings, uh, terrible feelings about yourself. You're being cruel to yourself with the things you say. Um, You are amplifying your fears instead of soothing your fears. All of this is a sign that you are not not whole. One of the things I would recommend, uh, I recently heard this, and when I I heard it, I thought "That's, that's, that's very helpful. If there is something in your life that happened over two years ago, and it still produces a cascade of negative emotion and fears, you are not over it. And there's still something there for you to learn, something there for you to grow from, something there for you to spend some time in prayer and with the word, seeking if the Lord would give you understanding in regards to that specific that specific thing. So first of all, we talked about connecting relationships in our life. Second of all, we talked about being active. Do not be passive. Get off the couch. Get involved. Participate in activities. Participate in small groups. Yes, Lord, thy servant heareth thee. Go forth, thou art healed. <laughs> Um, this activity is necessary. Uh, it's, it's necessary. And James said it best, faith without works is dead. <laughs> in other words, your faith produces some different life in you, within you. It produces some different direction for, for your life. It's not just a label, but it is the spark to new life that is within you. And it is incumbent upon people of faith that we do good works as a testimony to our Redeemer, our Savior, and as a testimony to our fellow man. What can good works be? What can they be? They can be a way to tell witness of God's goodness. Let men see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And what's the second way? It could be an expression of love to the one who saved you. If you love me, keep my commandments. This isn't slavery. It's different. This isn't spiritual servanthood. It's different. It is the act of love. Do you see? And so we have an opportunity to be active. The local church gives you the best opportunities for spiritual connections, friendships, relationships, also connects you to a, a wide range of various uh, people at various levels. Uh, don't, almost, almost, if you get involved in a church and you want to help people, there's almost always somebody you can help, someone you can pray for. You can have those healthy relationships. And secondly, you you get to be active. The third thing that they said should be done by people to improve um, their chance at wholeness, their their ability to overcome uh, uh, mental uh, problems and ill health uh, uh, of the mind and the spirit. Uh, the third thing was to take notice or live in the moment. Um, actually, enjoy. Uh, the moment. Don't don't always live. I, I think there's this tendency within the human nature that if we're not careful, we live our whole life thinking what comes next is better than what we have now. And uh, that's the problem with that is once you get to what comes next, you look back and you think to yourself, I was an idiot. I never had it so good. So uh, we don't want to be those people. We want to live in the moment. I know someday you're going to live in a mansion, but in the here and now, God has been better to you than you've been to yourself. I know someday it's going to be great and glorious. Get up in the But in the meantime, God's doing something in your life right now. Notice the small things. 
I heard someone, one of those life coach type people say recently, and I, I laughed when I heard it, but I thought they had a point. Um, she said, you, you, should, you should get in the habit of romanticizing your life so you'll notice it. She said, every cup of coffee shouldn't just be a cup of coffee. It should be the best cup of coffee you ever had. I, the first thing I did was laugh out loud. I was like, bah, it makes me mad, but you kind of have a point. <laughs> so much in our lives is the goodness of God. So much in our life is the blessing of God. Don't rush past it. Don't rush past it. Don't rush past it. Take notice. Live in the moment. Practice a sense of observing where you are, what you have, God's goodness, and expressing thanksgiving for that which God has done for you. Be aware of the blessings that God has given you. Don't let the revival that someday may happen kind of cause it to rain on this revival God's doing right now. Don't let what may happen be the enemy of what you have. All right, let me move on. Number four, they think, surveying all their research, all their research, all their science, all their social studies and medical histories, they come up, the fourth thing you ought to do is you ought to commit to keep learning. Nothing will refresh your mind so much as doing something new, learning something new. Um, one of the things I love uh, about uh, really the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, inheritance. It's partially a Christian and it's partially the history of the, the Jewish people and, and the, the whole of it is called a Judeo-Christian uh, history or inheritance and we are all of us the benefit of that. Uh, the, the Jewish people were the first nation to really have universal reading and writing, universal literacy. Literally hundreds, in some cases thousands of years more than it, before any other group any other ethnic group had a uh uh, universal li literacy. The reason why that the Jews were the first people to universal literacy is because they made reading and writing part of their worship to God. And that's why when you read in Deuteronomy, you'll find commandments, write the word. You'll find commandments to memorize the word. They write it on scripts and hang it on their forehead. They have to write it. They have to read it. And so the Jewish people attained universal literacy before any other ethnic group in human history. And even today, churches are organized around this, this fact, whether or not they're of our particular theological tribe or not. They're organized around this fact that you come together and someone gives you some good biblical advice to help you make your life better. Learn new things. Interestingly, I, I just learned this today. Um, if you put a person on a, a fMRI machine that reads the uh, electrical uh, patterns in your brain and um, they hooked me up to one yesterday and my brain was saying I need a nap I need a nap no just kidding um, <laughs> if you do something you know how to do your brain will be very it'll be very just 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 a little bit of activity in it if you're like reading you know how to read you're doing something you know how to do it very little just just base level activity and then you take that same person and tell them to do something they don't know how to do they have to like in the test what they did is they took language 
language and they played it forward where you could understand it and your, the brain was very, very subdued. Then they played it backwards and asked them if you could figure it out and their brain exploded. Uh, just uh, every part, parts of the brain that weren't even touched, weren't even used, just came to life. So uh, they think uh, you should keep learning uh, to be whole. Well, the local church is designed around the study of the word of God. It is designed around a seeking first those things which are eternal, the wisdom of God, the, the word of God is forever settled. I'm telling you, I'm a, uh, the local church is ideally designed as though a social scientist got together with a uh, mental health professional and a medical doctor and a historian and a philosopher, and they tried to come up with a system that would help you fulfill the five guidelines of the mental health survey done. And they said, after all of that, we've decided you should go to church. (laughs) Lastly, the fifth thing they think you ought to do to attain wholeness is you've got to give. You have to practice generosity. You have to practice thinking of others. You have to practice acts of kindness. This is their language, not mine. Practice random acts of kindness. Practice thanking someone, smiling, volunteering your time, getting involved in your local community. I got to this one, I just slapped myself on the forehead. I'm like, go to church already, people! You know you've always wanted to say that. Say it with me. Go to church already, people. I'm telling you, God knew what we needed. So back to our original uh, original, uh, point here. Some things that God does to, for us is a gift, and there's, not, there's really nothing for us to do but to receive it in faith. And some things that the Lord gives us are mountaintops that don't exist as something to be, um, like it's not a, like something we possess, but something we accomplish. Does that make sense? It's not as though it's something we, we claim and get a deed to the property and, yep, been here, done that, got the T-shirt, praise God, just check with me before you leave the church. You know, It's not some possession. It's something to strive for, and this is what I know. We, all of us, are, because of experiences that we have gone through, we are the result of the things we have survived. Our formative experiences have been the things that tried to kill us and failed. The things that almost broke us but didn't. The bad experience you had in church. The family situation where you didn't speak for three years. The marriage that almost failed. The marriage that failed. The trouble that you thought would be forever the end of your future. The mistake you made in your 20s that you thought was the end. The loss that you suffered that seemed to leave you in fragments. You are, at this moment, shaped by the things that tried to kill you and missed. But here's the reality. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can go. Here's the reality. You might think that the reason why you're here is because you learned to dodge And you've spent the rest of your life dodging. It might be that the reason why it missed you wasn't because you knew how to dodge. 
but because the hand of God was protecting you. Do you you see? And we live our life thinking we should make these decisions and live this way and do this, learn to dodge and learn to block and learn to hide because we survived. And the only way we survived is because we learned to dodge and we learned to block and we learned to hide. Honey, you are not the reason you survived. God said you were going to make it. God said you were going to make it. And when God says you're going to make it, it doesn't matter if you dodge well or not. The devil couldn't hit you if he tried. When God said, you're coming through, baby, you are coming through. Whether or not you own a mud truck or not. So, to repeat myself, in the manner of preachers everywhere, I want you to see your survival was not because you knew how to block. Or you knew how to dodge. Or you knew how to hide. Your survival was because the hand of God was upon you. So quit living your life as somebody who is blocking, hiding, and dodging. Instead, open your heart to the world God said you could reach and know that He can protect you by accident better than you can ever protect yourself on purpose. So although it is true, Although it is true that you are the product of the things you survived, the misconception is that your survival was something you did. And it wasn't. It was something God did. And so you can lean back against His everlasting arms. And you can stand upon His strong foundation. And you can know You're not just a survivor. You've been adopted. You're chosen. And so I think truly these five steps that were produced after all this research, they're great steps. They're a great way to try to convince someone to come to church. I actually think they got it right. But there's one I would like to add to their five. Just one to their five. They've talked about connecting. They've talked about being active. They've talked about service. Here's what I'd like to add. Learn to be a worshiper. Every one of us needs something bigger than ourselves to live for. Every one of us needs something that is of a a high transcendent goal, a spiritual aspiration. Every one of us needs something beyond us to live for. So after, let me look back through my my list here, after we've learned to connect and after we've learned to be active and after we've learned to be present and take notice of our lives and after we've committed to, to being a learner and continuing to learn and after we have realized the need to give in order to find wholeness within ourselves, I would add this one. Get your eyes off you and your fellow man. Lift them to the highest star you can see in the sky and seek to behold the beauty of the Lord. 
Because beyond all of our cynical histories and beyond all of our plans for a better tomorrow and beyond all of our personal theories and criticisms and beyond all of that, there is a creator who made you. And he gave you autonomy. And when we chose to turn away, he moved all heaven and earth, not just to be our creator, but to be our redeemer. And so why would the one who created us choose to redeem us? Because he wanted to be our friend. He wanted to know us. Let's all stand all across the house. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Would you step out of the, the, the chair here? I'd like us just come down to the front. It's, uh, we'll just take a moment here. I, I just can't talk about spiritual wholeness and then just send you home. I think, I think we should just take a moment here. Just, that, that's right. Just come on down. Make yourself at home. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. At least I don't think I am. <clears throat> Would you just stand right here in the presence of the Lord? Oh, Lord Jesus, we bless you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we bless you. I want to speak to everyone in this place, and I want you to know that there is wholeness for you. There is wholeness for you. The things which you think may have limited you or wounded you or misshapen you. No, no, it's all part of divine purpose and testimony in your life that you can find that place of being truly rejoin to your Savior. Lord, I'm praying for every person here. I first of all want to thank you for all of these people, Lord Jesus. These are wonderful people. I want to thank you for the zeal that they have in their life to know you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for them. And I want to pray, oh God, that none of us would grow weary in the, the struggle against the the nature of the flesh, that it's always trying to turn us back toward petty things. It's always to turn, always trying to turn our attention back toward unimportant things and who said what to whom and what they meant when they were saying it and who doesn't speak to who and all this junk, Lord Jesus. And we never can get to wholeness. We never can get to wholeness because we're never really comfortable being completely vulnerable before you. Lord Jesus, I'm praying, Lord God, that the healing that is promised in Scripture would not just be the healing of a moment. We're thankful for that. But that progressive healing whereby we become more like you. We become partakers of your nature. We perceive things with spiritual understanding and insight. And we are able to become the voice of spiritual testimony, the voice of promise to people And they can see if God did it for us, then God will do it for them. We want to be a church full of living testimonies that anyone can come and look at us and say, if God did it for them, I know he'll do it for me. If God helped them get over their dysfunctional upbringing, God can help me get over that. If God brought them through their failed relationship, God can bring me through that. If God brought them through the abuse they suffered in a vulnerable season of their life, God can bring me through that. Lord Jesus, we are standing, living, speaking evangels of testimony of what you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. 
put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I praise you for what you're going to do among us, Lord. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.